Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate your prayers this morning, and I appreciate all of you that were willing to come and testify to God's goodness and grace in the assembly this morning. We were all blessed to hear that. Uh, parents, you can dismiss your children for Children's Church now if you want to do that. And I know that it might be making some of you nervous uh, that I'm preaching this morning, not only because it's, it's a little late this morning, but because many of you here the last time that I preached a message around the time of Thanksgiving, and of all the sermons I've ever preached at New Life, I've heard more feedback about that sermon. Um, it was a sermon on gluttony. Uh, I understand that even some of my remarks uh, that day made some people mad. Um, and so now some of you might be thinking, whose idea was it to let him preach the Thanksgiving Day message again this year? Well, in an effort to be sensitive, I do want to remind you that I preached the gluttony sermon the Sunday after Thanksgiving last year because I did want everyone to enjoy their Thanksgiving Day meal. And I still want everyone to enjoy their Thanksgiving Day meal. Uh, some of you might remember even last year, I did make the claim that there are appropriate occasions for feasting. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on that this morning, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, God extends an invitation to you to feast. Do you know that? God extends an invitation to you to feast. He wants you to enjoy his creation and what he has provided for you in abundance. And it's always been that way. We can go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning when God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in a garden, rich and abundant. And this is what he said to them. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, he said, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. He provided for them abundantly in creation and invited them to enjoy it. That's at the beginning, and then at the end, when Jesus returns again at the end of the age, God invites us to another feast, a banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But not only does God invite his people to feast, God actually commanded his people to feast. We see this in a chapter like Deuteronomy chapter 16, a chapter that records the commandments of God to his people to appear before him for three annual feasts. Three annual feasts. We read in that chapter the feast of Passover or unleavened bread. That's one feast. We read about the feast of weeks, also known as Pentecost. And we read about the Feast of Booths. And it's this last one, the Feast of Booths, that is most analogous to our Thanksgiving Day celebration. It was a, it was a harvest season celebration of what God had so richly provided for the people. And so I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 16 this morning. Not because as Christians we're obligated to observe these annual feasts of Old Testament Israel, but in order for us to learn more about what it is to feast in a biblical way and how we can feast in a manner that pleases God. I'll be noting each of these feasts a little bit, but I'll concentrate primarily on the Feast of Booths, again, because it's most analogous to our Thanksgiving Day harvest celebration. We find that text in verses 13 through 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 16. So Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17 is our text. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can follow along there. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles this morning, uh, the text is printed uh, on the screen for you to follow along. So let's stand now for the reading of God's Word from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. 
This is the word of God. You shall keep the feast of booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and we pray now also for the preaching of your word, that you might teach us how to feast in a way that delights your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And there are three things that I want us to notice from Deuteronomy 16 about what biblical feasting involves. And the first is this. Biblical feasting involves rejoicing. It involves rejoicing. Now, we can assume that rejoicing is just kind of this spontaneous overflow of emotion and it's not something that can be commanded. That's not accurate. Just like we learn about love, that it's not just some kind of uncontrollable emotion, but it's a decision of the will and we can choose to love and decide by acting in very specific, concrete ways. In a similar way, we can also decide to rejoice. We can decide to be joyful, or maybe to put it another way, we can make a choice to rejoice. We can make a choice to rejoice. Praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing are central components to our life of worship. And so we frequently find God commanding us to do these things as an expression of our wills and a commitment of our hearts. So we find in this particular chapter, the Lord issuing this command in verse 14, you shall rejoice in your feast. That's a command to rejoice. But why does God command this? Well, because rejoicing out of thankful hearts is a fitting and necessary response in light of God's goodness and grace shown to us. Rejoicing out of thankful hearts is a fitting and appropriate and necessary response to goodness and grace. And during the Feast of Booths in Israel and during our Thanksgiving Day celebration, the Thanksgiving and the rejoicing is specifically tied to God's creational provisions, like the food that he has bestowed upon us in the harvest. We rejoice in those kinds of things. Because listen, this is really important. God wants you to enjoy food. He wants you to enjoy your food, like potatoes at Thanksgiving. Do you know who makes potatoes really good? God does. They're his idea. He created potatoes. He's the one who created them. He's ultimately the one who grows them. And he, he dresses them in skins of various colors that are rich in potassium. And he gives them this, this white, crisp center that softens when they're heated. And then we can take those things that God has created. And as an exercise of our dominion over that creation, we take them and we can prepare them like this. <laughs> and we can prepare them like this. 
But I don't know about you, I, I can live on potatoes and cheese for a really, really long time. I love potatoes. You know who else loves potatoes? God does. That's why they exist. When God pronounced his blessing after finishing the work of creation and he said it's all very good, part of that included potatoes and corn and pumpkin. And it's right for us to celebrate those things that he has created and given to us. There is nothing spiritual about refusing to enjoy food as a gift from a good God. There's nothing spiritual about that. In fact, it's unbiblical to not enjoy food from the hand of a good God. It's wrong to make it an idol, but it's right to celebrate it. Now, of course, you might choose foods other than potatoes, and that's fine. But pick something you like with, with, with sensitivity to medical restrictions and health concerns, but pick what you like and on occasion, feast on it. Feast on it. Now, if that's, again, if that sounds unbiblical, if that sounds like an assertion that God would not give sanction to, that he would not be pleased with, listen to something God says in Deuteronomy just a couple chapters before when he called the people to appear before him on another occasion when they were bringing the tithe in. This is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. Spend the money for whatever you desire. This is God speaking to the people here. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Listen to that invitation. Those aren't meager vegetables. Rich meat and strong drink. And he continues and says, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. You and your household, you and your family. That's God inviting us to feast on occasion. God invites us to rejoice by feasting. Somebody asked me recently if feasting was about eating until our tummies are full. And my answer to that question is yes. It is partly about that, eating until our tummies are full. That doesn't make you a glutton. That doesn't make you a glutton, to feast on special occasions. And, and that's what feasting is. It's, it's limited to special occasions. It's not an everyday occurrence, but eating to your heart's content on occasions that call for celebration while otherwise avoiding an inordinate attachment to food and practicing moderation and self-restraint and self-control doesn't make you a glutton. Gluttony describes a habitual inclination and practice with the use of food. Feasting on appropriate occasions doesn't make you a glutton. God invites you to do that on occasion. But biblical feasting involves more than simply rejoicing in food as a good gift of God's provision. It also involves remembering. Biblical feasting involves remembering. Biblical feasting is not motivated primarily by our appetites. Biblical feasting is actually motivated by remembering the past. Think of how many of our celebrations and feasts involve remembering birthdays. We were born once on this day. Anniversaries, the 4th of July, and even our Thanksgiving Day celebration is linked to specific events in this nation's history. And in a very similar way, Deuteronomy chapter 16 and the feasts that are mentioned there all recall the past. 
It's not simply an agricultural celebration. Here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover, the people to commemorate the exodus from, e from Egypt. They were to celebrate that with the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. With the Feast of Weeks, we read in verse 12 that the people were called to remember. This is in verse 12 of chapter 16. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that, that you're celebrating a God who has delivered you from slavery. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. And while the Feast of Booths is not explicitly linked to anything in Israel's history in Deuteronomy 16, we get different instruction about it in Leviticus chapter 23. And this is what Leviticus chapter 23 tells us about the Feast of Booths. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt. You see how all of these are linked to the past? But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something more as well. Notice how all of these feasts are linked to remembering specifically God's provision of redemption from Egypt. They all are linked to the redemptive work of God. And this is important because this is what allows us to feast even in seasons of scarcity, even in times of difficulty and sickness and pain and loss. We've already heard testimony of these things. It's the redemptive connection to these things that allows us to do that. Because look, I know it's not just some of these people that you've already heard from this morning. Some of you have had a really difficult year. And I know that some of you are in the midst of deep pain and sorrow and sickness, even now. And you might be thinking, how am I supposed to enjoy a feast? Well, here's part of the answer to that. Christian, remember. Remember. God's redemptive work. Remember that you have been delivered from a greater bondage than slavery in Egypt through the work of Jesus. Remember that you've been delivered from condemnation and death. Remember that all of your sins have been forgiven and they are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Remember that you are loved with an everlasting love. Remember that you have been adopted into God's family, and you are an heir of eternal glory, even though right now you might be suffering. Remember that God is working all things together for good, even though now you might find yourself in a valley and in a trial. And remember God's ultimate provision for you, both your body and your spirit, is Jesus, the true bread of heaven. And through his resurrection, through the resurrection of, of his body, he has secured the resurrection of your body, regardless of what shape your body is in right now. Remember. This, is, this remembering is why Christians can even feast at funerals. You ever notice how most funerals are followed by a meal? Why is that? Well, for Christians, it's because of the gospel of redemption. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We can hope even in the face of difficulty and in hoping we can feast. We can celebrate in God's redemptive work. So we do well to celebrate harvest at Thanksgiving, just like the Israelites did at the Feast of Booths. Because in doing so, 
we are remembering and acknowledging that the God who provides the harvest for us is the same God who has provided all things that we need for this life and the life to come in both body and spirit. He's provided all of those things in Christ, even victory over the grave. And when we remember these kinds of things, we can say with Habakkuk, who writes this in his book, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's scarcity. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You can share Habakkuk's praise, but only by remembering. Biblical feasting is about more than agricultural abundance. It's about remembering that we have all things through the grace and mercy of God shown to us in Jesus. But really remembering, to really remember, it takes work. It takes intentional and concentrated reflection. Have you ever gotten to the end of the day at Thanksgiving feeling sleepy, and stuffed with food, and felt like you really didn't celebrate anything? You never really experienced any deep thankfulness to God from your heart? You ever feel that way? Well, let me, let me offer this to you. The culprit in that is probably not the way you spent the day on Thanksgiving. That's probably not the culprit. Cooking, and feasting, and cleaning, and enjoying a football game, and time with the kids, and time resting. The culprit is likely a failure to spend time reflecting and drawing near to God before all the festivities began. That's the likely culprit in that. We didn't do the work of remembering ahead of time. It's no accident that historically in the church, Christian feast days were preceded by seasons of fasting. Just think of Lent before Easter. There are also fast days in the history of the church in Advent. And here's what it seems that People recognized historically it was that saying no to the blessings of creation in order to draw near to God, to reflect and to remember and to find your joy in Him was necessary in order to prepare your heart to draw near to God by enjoying the blessings in creation without missing Him in the process. Does that make sense to you? It was necessary to draw near to God by saying no to the blessings of creation finding your hope and satisfaction in him, and then your heart would be ready to enter back into enjoying what he has provided in creation and not missing him in that. And we just don't do that very well, do we? We don't take time to prepare our hearts. We don't do the work of remembering. If it's unclear to you what I'm saying, here's the point. Consider fasting at some point before Thanksgiving. And if you, if you are unable to fast, at least spend some time withdrawing from the distractions of the world to draw near to God, to remember and reflect upon his goodness and his mercies and his faithfulness and his love. Find in him the source of your satisfaction and delight because then you'll be more able to enter into the celebration of him and the supply that he has given us in creation as we celebrate. It's interesting, isn't it, that both fasting and feasting are about drawing near to God. Both fasting and feasting are ultimately about drawing near to God in relationship. And that brings us to the third thing about biblical feasting. Biblical feasting involves relationships. 
We don't feast well in isolation. Isn't that true to our experience? Some of you are probably not looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday. You're not looking forward to Thanksgiving Day because you don't have a lot of people to share it with. And it's not going to be a feast for you. And I know there's others who you're not looking forward to Thanksgiving because the people that you will be spending it with, you don't want to be with them. The relationships are not healthy. They're not godly. They're draining. And so it's not going to feel like a feast. You might be around a lot of people. You might be around a lot of food. You might eat a lot of food. But you know what? You know it's not going to feel like a feast. Because it takes more than food to have a feast. It requires relationships. This is why we're not surprised to read something like this in Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 17, it says, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. We know that that's true because of the importance of relationships in eating and in feasting. But of course, the most important relationship in biblical feasting is our relationship with God. And that's noted here in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Note how these feasts in Deuteronomy 16 were to be celebrated at the place where God would make his name dwell. We get that language of the place where God would make his name dwell in verse 2, which we didn't read, verse 11, and again in verse 15 and verse 16. This language of this place where God would make his name dwell is an anticipation of Jerusalem, where the temple would eventually be constructed. And of course, the temple was a symbol to the Old Testament people of God's dwelling place, and that's where they were to hold their feast. You know what this means, right? God would be the host of these feasts. In other words, what God was calling the people to was to enter into his presence to feast as an expression of the covenant people's fellowship with him in their midst. So he says in verse 11 of this chapter, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. I am your host. Biblical feasting is something done in the presence of God and is a celebration of him in our midst, dwelling with us by his spirit through Jesus. Biblical feasting is about that. But it's not just about our relationship with God. It's also about our relationship with others. Biblical feasting is about our relationship with others. Verse 14 says, You shall rejoice in your feast, you, but also your son and your daughter, your family, your male servant and your female servant, those in your household, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. Our feasts are about time together with family and to celebrate those relationships, even when they're hard. But notice how this scope extends beyond just our immediate family, and it extends to the needy and to the dependent, the Levite who had no inheritance in the land, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. This is how God is instructing us to feast. And so to feast in a way that is pleasing to God we need to be compassionate and generous by sharing what God has provided for us in creational blessings with the disadvantaged and the poor around us. I don't know if you're going to have an opportunity to actually sit down and enjoy a meal with the poor in this community or another community that you're going back to. If you have occasion to do that, do it. Sit down and have a meal with the poor and the disadvantaged. But I know because some of you may be leaving town, you may have others coming into town, at least consider making a contribution to provide a meal during this season and in the upcoming seasons. Make a contribution to Muncie Mission. 
to reach Yorktown, to other food pantries. I'm, I'm guessing it's not too late to do that, even now, to make those contributions. To make a contribution to the diaconal fund that Paul was talking about as Christmas, the Christmas feasting season is approaching. Because to fail to do this, to show compassion and generosity to the needy around us, our feasting would fail to mirror the grace and the goodness of God shown to us as a broken people and all that he has given us. Our feasting would fail to mirror the compassion and generosity of God and our sensitivity to those relationships of those around us. Those relationships are central to feasting well. And it's this emphasis on relationships that makes it impossible, difficult for sure, but, but likely impossible for someone who's a glutton to actually enter into the experience of biblical joy with a feast. It's impossible really for a glutton to do that because see, for a glutton, it's all about the meal and it's all about the meal for himself or herself. It's not about God. It's not about the community. But with biblical feasting, the meal is not the goal. The meal is not the goal, but the meal is an important way that we celebrate relationships. Meals have always been important ways to celebrate relationships, and they're still important ways to celebrate relationships. Our relationship to God and our relationship with others in loving, sharing families and communities. Notice one last thing here, that the Feast of Booths was a seven-day celebration. It was a seven-day feast. So if you don't hear anything else this morning, at least hear this. God is for feasting. He is for feasting. It's good to feast in celebration of Christ's birth at Christmas. It is good to feast in celebration of Christ's resurrection at Easter. And it is good to feast in celebration and thankfulness for the goodness of God that abounds around us in creation through his blessing. Now, you may choose not to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday this year, and, and that's fine. To observe a United States federal holiday in late November is not a divine command. So you may de decide not to celebrate that, but make sure that your life includes thankful feasting. Make sure your life includes that. Not all the time, but when the occasion calls for celebration, thankful feasting. Why? Because you have a redeemer. And because this is your father's world and he is good. And what he has created is good. And what he has provided for you is good. And it's expression of his grace and his mercy to you. And it's right to celebrate that. So if you do celebrate Thanksgiving this season, feast your heart out. Feast your heart out, but do it right. Rejoicing in what God has provided in his creation for you, remembering the redemption that is yours in Christ Jesus and celebrating relationships. And do it all in anticipation of that great feast that's coming where we'll sit down with Jesus at the table in glory and we will celebrate and we will worship and we will give thanks forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you abound to us in goodness and grace. And those gifts of your grace surround us in creation. Help us to feast well in a way that pleases you. And help us, Lord, as we enjoy your provisions of creation, that ultimately our hearts would be drawn higher, beyond the blessings of creation to the blesser, and that we would find our ultimate joy and enjoyment in you, both this season and at all times. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.